To go big, go e-commerce. Learn how to become a digitally powered business with the region's top e-commerce platforms. Free trainings, seller subsidies, and various sales support await. Hashtag Let's Do It Online by registering at go-ecommerce.my today. This micro and SME's e-commerce campaign is brought to you by Pinjana with support by MDEC. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. Do you remember that scene in The Last Jedi where Luke and Ray stand near the edge of a cliff on Acto, arms around each other and staring wide-eyed and grinning into the camera as they point at the puffin-like porgs? Yeah, me neither. MSP's Matt Armitage has had a revelation. There are no selfies in sci-fi. Hey, Richard. Yeah, so I originally talked about this on a recent episode of BFM's uh, A Bit of Culture, but it's kind of been gnawing away at me since then, this difference between what we see on our screens and our actual behaviour. And, you know, that's nothing new. I mean, we do call it fiction for a reason. That no one goes to the bathroom on TV shows. Yeah, and there's a really good reason for that. You know, when we're hanging out with friends and someone heads off to the loo, everyone is just kind of hanging around waiting. And very often you end up having these kind of very filler type conversations. And TV is full of moments uh, like these that don't reflect reality. You know, they go into a coffee shop, the characters get their order in seconds, you know, how is that even possible? Whenever I go, it takes the, the barista five minutes to decide what methodology he's going to use to make the coffee in the first place. There's this growing scientific evidence that coffee might increase your lifespan. And it has to, just to offset the amount of time you spend waiting for it. <laughs> Are there any behaviours that work the other way around? Well, of course, you know, this is one that I do myself. Uh, most people, when they get in their car, you know, it takes them a few minutes to get their seatbelt on, get the car started, put it in gear, take off the handbrake and, you know, use the mirrors and, and move off. On TV, of course, and, and movies, people get in the car and they drive off in seconds. And they do that by starting the car in gear. The handbrake's already off, already to be released. Uh, you're checking the mirrors as you're sitting down, so you can just zoom straight off. Now, being an impatient type, I started to copy that behaviour years ago. But one that I find really annoying is the loudspeaker phone thing. Ah, using the speaker instead of holding it to your ear. Yeah, that drives me absolutely insane. You know, it's like the early days of mobile phones when idiots would bark, yeah, the line's bad, I'm on my mobile, at the top of their voice in some public space. Now, the loudspeaker thing, it's something that we've copied from reality TV, from the Kardashians to those, you know, can't pay, we'll take it away type shows. Everybody in those shows uses their phones on speaker mode because the camera crew need to record the conversation. But suddenly, everyone thinks that's how you use a phone. I mean, there is one good thing about it. It's really useful for overhearing people's bank details and listening to them lie to their bosses. But it's possibly not the best use of the actual technology. Which is what today's show is about, I believe. Uh, how do we get from uh, Jersey Shore to uh, Tatooine? Well, I finally got around to watching The Mandalorian, the uh, Star Wars spin-off TV show uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was, yeah, and I was looking at all of this incredible technology that they have. 
you know, the locations might look like the Middle East during the, the kind of ancient Roman period, but they've got laser blasters, they've got droids, they've got these armoured fortresses. Of course, they've got uh, faster than light speed travel. All of this incredible science and technology at their fingertips. You have all these amazing races and species living alongside each other. Um, all this really strange and weird food. Uh, but nobody ever seems to take out a camera to record it all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it reminds me of the tagline for the movie Alien, in space, no one can hear you scream. Well, it seems in space, no one takes selfies either. It's this weird gap between what writers think our behaviour should be or what it will be and what it actually is. Uh, think about the, the running joke of Tribbles in Star Trek or Wookiees in Star Wars. You'd have thought that every crew member in Starfleet would be rushing to get a, a photo of the Tribbles multiplying seemingly unstoppably. And, you know, despite the reaction of the Empire's citizens to, to Chewbacca, is anyone actually trying to grab a photo with him? You know, no one thinks to photobomb stormtroopers as they sweep in and out of their transports or mugs to camera next to the foot of an at-at. The closest thing we get is Ewoks trying to have, you know, a stormtrooper barbecue and using their battle armour as steel drums. But we see this altered reality reflected throughout the science fiction that we read and watch. Doesn't age have something to do with it? The uh, Star Wars and Star Trek universes uh, predate digital cameras in, in our universe. Well, absolutely. But that doesn't explain why in a show like The Mandalorian or something like The Expanse, you wouldn't incorporate elements of that behaviour. For those uh, not familiar or interested in Star Wars lore, you know, the Mandalorians are a warrior clan and their adherents pledge never to remove their helmets in front of other people. Who wouldn't want a selfie with this kind of Ultraman ninja in a robot suit? Despite that fact, um, you know, as one of the Order's last remaining members, Pablo Pascal's character attracts attention and fanboys wherever he goes. There are never any photos. And the latest reboot of uh, Star Trek Discovery puts itself in a kind of awkward place because it's actually a prequel to the original series, if only by a decade or so. So it can't actually be more technologically advanced. So you become boxed in by the rules of your own canon. So if Kirk and Spock didn't take selfies, it's harder to make it normal for a theoretically earlier crew to adopt that kind of behaviour. Selfies and, and digital immersion can't be completely absent from sci-fi. No, and of course they're not. But when you look at the uh, more dystopian modern stuff, it is there, you know, shows like Black Mirror. But it's still not presented in that natural way. It tends to be the, the focus and it's taken to the nth degree. So, for example, you know, when smartphones are used as a security system or when you're live streaming and ranked on every moment of your life by everybody that you know. So you have the depiction expressed in these very extreme terms. Uh, it's either inescapable and all-consuming or almost totally absent. Uh, even in the TV reboot of Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, we have this juxtaposition of the lead character marooned in the fundamentalist anti-technology Gilead Republic and her family in exile in you know, contemporary modern-day Canada. Right, where smartphones and technology uh, reflect the way we use them. Well, yeah, um, Canada is used to represent the kind of Te technocentric world of contemporary liberal democracies. 
But there seem to be very few examples of that technology in Gilead beyond the tools of the surveillance state. So we know from real world experience that smartphones routinely make their way into controlled environments like prisons. In perhaps the uh, closest example we have of that self-sealed world, uh, North Korea, we also know that phones and foreign media are traded in the country, especially along the Chinese border where Chinese cell phone towers are, are in range. Yet Elizabeth Moss's character, Offred, has to write and smuggle handwritten letters or surreptitiously uh, record on an old cassette player that she finds in a basement. Why are phones not being smuggled in and passed around? Even if you can't use them to make calls or access the internet, they're small, they're discreet, and you can use them to record, uh, record play and disseminate information. Maybe because it would make the show less interesting? Sure, and we'll come back to the argument about you know real-life behaviour being incompatible with what we read or see on the screen. But when I went back and looked at the fiction of, again, you know, Margaret Atwood, Philip K. Dick, Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, or any of the uh, uh, supposedly less serious sci-fi and fantasy stuff that I repeat, uh, that I, I read, or, you know, you look at movies like Blade, the Blade Runner sequel, iRobot, Minority Report, these writers and their fiction have predicted or influenced so much of the digital technology we see in society now. Plus, you know, They've invented all of these things that we're nowhere near achieving, like the positron—oh uh, pos- dear, I can't say it—the positronic brain and time travel. But you do find cameras and photos in their work. You do, but it's still in that very old-fashioned sense of you know the space travelers arrive on the planet and they gather together for a group photo. You record that moment for posterity, and that photo comes to symbolize the entire mission. I think what they missed was the degree to which we'd end up using this technology to satisfy our our self-absorption and our, our narcissism. Matt, that's a, a bit harsh, isn't it? Well, I'm not excluding myself either. You know, I'm I'm not big on selfies. Anyone who's tried to get me into a photo with them knows how slippery I am. But I still have close to 30,000 photos on my phone. I'm admittedly, you know, half of them are photos of my cat. Uh, the other half is probably just wall markings in car parks reminding where, where I parked and uh, that I've forgotten to delete. But, you know, you tell the average person in the year 2000 that they would amass tens of thousands of photos within a few years. And I guess they wouldn't believe you. Or they wouldn't believe that they would be taking photos of their cornflakes surrounded by artfully scattered fresh berries every morning. So this is another of those old man shouting at the world episodes, is it? Well, I hope not. You know, I I find it fascinating and I love that I can take a quick picture of something because it's fun or informative or quirky and share it with people either publicly or privately. But it is interesting to think, you know, by the time we're ready to join Elon Musk on his missions to colonise Mars, uh, will we still feel that need to record everything? Or will the technology itself have moved on? You know, will our future be more like the ones we see in utopian sci-fi? Or will we just have a bunch of people barking into loudspeakers and calling their cousin to come and look at the Martian dust storm? When we come back, will the science fiction of the future look like the real housewives of space? This is MSP here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Busy following money trail. BFM 89.9. 
BFM 89.9, the business station. This is MSP, and before the break, we mentioned one of the worst reality show pitches of all time, The Real Housewives of Space. How close do you think we are to that reality? Well, I know it sounds absurd, so regular listeners to the show will know that I'm addicted to those debt collection and border patrol-type shows on uh, online. Uh, and a lot of those shows feature streaming candid camera shots. And one of the great features of them is that you often find the, the people that officials are dealing with start to film them back. Something we're increasingly seeing in uh, any situation where the public come into confrontation with anyone in an official position. And that's a bad thing? No, not at all. Um, you know, of course, it can be used for petty reasons, like filming a shopkeeper because the Mars bar you bought is a little bit melted. Uh, the idea that the threat of being put on YouTube is uh, somehow supposed to humble the person, like shame on you, shopkeeper, for not being able to manipulate the chemical properties of chocolate. Uh, but, you know, overall, it's a really powerful tool. We're seeing it being used as a way for marginalised people and groups to assert their rights and fight back against injustice and oppression. So it, it isn't always about narcissism. No, I mean, of course, you still get your outfit of the day shots, your kitten videos. As I said, these are really powerful tools and we get to choose how we use them. So we don't have to use them in a serious way all of the time. The same lens that records the kitten or the cool kicks can also capture a confrontation with police. But this is another area that sci-fi doesn't really follow our behaviour. You know, why aren't citizens of the Galactic Empire and the First Order filming their oppressors? Is, is there much point snapping a, a stormtrooper? I mean, they're pretty much identical from the outside. Well, true, but we don't see that citizen journalism being reflected in a lot of science fiction. We tend to see it more in the dramatic fiction that's set now. Uh, take uh, Minority Report. Now, I know I use that as a reference point on the show a lot, but the, there's a bunch of people in that movie who can actually see the future. You have sensors in shops with screens that identify you by name, but there's no recording and broadcasting device in the hands of the individual citizen, at least not that I remember. And as I mentioned, you know, in a lot of sci-fi that does use it, the people doing the filming tend to be passive. They're disinterested observers in some disconnected dystopian future. And where selfies are used, it, it plays for laughs. Well, very often. I mean, if you look at something like the last Avengers movie, Endgame, we see the Hulk posing for selfies. And of course, he's a big green monster who's become uh, a, a jolly giant. So it's funny that he happily poses with kids for a photo rather than ripping their arms off and throwing them through the roof. So it's the juxtaposition that's being used. Uh, I might be wrong about this, but I think in the last John Wick movie, the, the third one, we didn't see any selfies either. You know, pretty much the whole of New York seems to be a freelance assassin. And many of them stop to comment on what an honour it is to fight John Wick. But nobody asks him for a selfie. We mentioned earlier that it gets in the way of the narrative. Well, of course, when you have a culture that's based around digital activity, it can get a little less action-packed. You know, you don't have to battle for information. You can just Google it. And when you look at a typical sort of public scene, people have their heads buried in their phones. Again, that's not a criticism. It's just an observation. 
But that's hard to accommodate into storytelling because it shows a lack of engagement. And watching shows about people not engaging with each other or, or people who are scheduling time for a face-to-face call is probably going to less, uh, make for kind of less thrilling and exciting entertainment. You wonder how much technology is going to get in the way of, a, of, of future narratives. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the shows we watch are very traditional in format. There's a lot of reversion to tropes. So people get into danger because their phone goes dead or it's out of cell phone signal range. You know, we have to figure out a way to cancel the technology or the plot won't actually work. You watch people flailing and running about on crowded streets looking panicked and you think, well, just ask someone if you can borrow their phone. Uh, Or the old you know, you get in the wrong cab and you get kidnapped routine. Well, now we order cars through an app. We know who the driver is going to be and how many stars they have. We know their rider history. We rarely get into cars now with people that we can't identify. So there's a need to be more creative to stop the technology spoiling the fun? Well, I think the writers are going to have to be more inventive. Um, Go back and look at the CSI franchises, for example. Most of the technology they use, like the almost instant DNA tests, the face matching. It just isn't possible. And it's still not possible 10 or 15 years after those shows have stopped broadcasting. Uh, We can do it all, but it takes weeks, not minutes. Just look at um, COVID-19 tests. The first high-speed 90-minute tests are finally coming through to market. But for the most part, it takes a couple of days or even up to a couple of weeks to get the results processed. So the CSI writers took liberties with a supposedly science-based show in order to make it more entertaining and, of course, to drive the narrative forward. It's much easier with a horse and cart. Sure, you know, the Game of Thrones Jon Snow can leave his horse tethered outside whatever hut he's looking moodily confused in, uh, and one of his rangers has to race back to to Castle Black through the snow and ice on, on foot, a journey that may take days or weeks, and of course allows the action to be returned to periodically throughout the season. Now, if John could have sent Corinne Halfhand a WhatsApp saying, get an Uber and bring the boys over, that would have seriously truncated the show. Uh, or if Varys's little spiders had smartphones, no one would ever have made it out of King's Landing, and the show would never have made it past season one. Do you think that's, excuse me, I'm just having a giggle here. Uh, do you think that's why we're seeing a lot of historical fiction then? I think it may be one reason. You know, there are a lot of um, science fiction shows like The 100, which have this uh, back to the future type ethos. You know, the people escape from an advanced civilization either because it explodes or whatever, and they end up living alongside people in a prehistoric future. Uh, I watched the Charlie's Theron movie Atomic Blonde a couple of weeks ago, and it's interesting that it's set in late Cold War era Berlin, so the, the, the mid-1980s. Obviously, it's based on a graphic novel that's set in that period, but you wonder if it was adaptable because it allows the storytellers to use these more traditional narratives. It's not that long ago that it looks old. 80s culture is on this permanent remix cycle, so everyone gets the references, and there are enough contemporary touches, breakdancers and skateboarders um, for it to be relatable. But you don't have pesky email, uh, personal phones, internet and surveillance cameras to get in the way. Similarly, I watched uh, Theron's latest movie, Old Guard, 
And conveniently, even though it's set in our time, the main characters are immortals who are hundreds of years old and don't really care about tech. And in fact, the biotech billionaire is, of course, the villain. Is there a generalized uh, generational aspect to this as well? I think that may be one of the biggest issues. You know, when you look at fiction writers, screenwriters, directors, producers, they're mostly kind of older millennials, uh, Gen Xers, boomers. So they live in a digital world, but for them, digital is a learned behavior. It's not second nature, just like it is, you know, for me. Uh, so when they create this fictitious world, it's not digital first. The, the digital is kind of grafted on in a way. So you have someone like uh, John Favreau, who's the exec producer on Endgame and the, uh, the creator of The Mandalorian. Now, he's 54, not 24. Not that the, the shows aren't great, they are. But I think as we get more digital natives writing, directing and shooting content, the use of digital technology will stop being a novelty or a trope. I mean, there are numerous shows on Netflix at the moment where teens hit up their phones and cartoony chat messages appear on the screen. Again, not realistic to, to actual behavior. In the meantime, uh, movies like Old Guard are good ways for older content makers to tell stories in ways that they're still comfortable with. But do you see the uh, science fiction of the future being dominated by selfies and this more self-referential culture? To be honest, no. I mean, if we look at the near horizon of actual technology, I think we're close to the point where we won't need to do that. So one of the technologies we've talked a lot about on the show over the past few years is BCI, brain computing interfaces. Things like neural links, implanted chips, all the, you know, really fun, scary stuff. Um, we've talked about hard drive solutions for people with dementia, so recording memories onto um, uh, smart drives. We may be close to the point where our entire lives are recorded and archived not just in a fictional sense but in reality and that opens up a lot of possibilities yeah you know if you go down the dystopian route um, it becomes like minority report on steroids so instead of having a surveillance society relying on cameras and street scenes you move to be able to hack into people's brains and examine their thoughts and memories. Or you track someone through the streets, not by following camera feeds, but by looking through the eyes of the people they pass by. You know, a bit like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But these people might not even be aware of what you're doing. You're this silent passenger inside their minds. Fiction or reality? Well, that's the thing with science fiction. The fiction of today can be the reality of tomorrow. That's why it's always been such an important genre to me. It's a bit like running simulations. And those simulations advance with every real technology jump that we make. So again, when you look at Discovery, the, the, the Star Trek reboot, there's a lot of biotech in there because biotech has advanced enormously since the original Star Trek series. But it's an advance that doesn't threaten warp drives and teleportation and replication, which are hallmarks of earlier series, which, of course, as we mentioned earlier, are all set theoretically further in the future. People will still want to take images and selfies and food pics, though, won't they? Well, of course, I think we're probably going to see a period of the hyper-documenting of people's lives. Uh, and I think those lives are likely to become a lot more virtual. We're already seeing, you know, these face-tuning apps that can tweak your appearance, uh, change your gender, uh, make you decades older. Uh, my iPad has a depth, uh, not a depth-sensing camera, it has a depth-sensing LiDAR camera on it, 
which uh, enables photorealistic 3D images to, to be taken. And we have AI that can create photorealistic faces and models from literally thin air. So that perfect selfie may become about as relevant as the perfect Polaroid, simply because you can create your best self from thin air. You can put yourself in a Gulfstream. You can wear all the labels and jewellery. And once you can do that virtually, the relevance and fun of it kind of disappears. We move on to the next thing. Exactly. And as we move on to the next thing, we look back at the old thing and think, gosh, what was I thinking? You know, I spent all that time curating this feed. Why? A computer can generate it for me. Ultimately, that might be the reason that there are no selfies in space, because in that science fiction future, you can share and relive moments on command. You won't have to grin into a camera to create it. You can find more episodes of MSP on the BFM website and the app, of course. Uh, for transcripts of these shows, head over to culturepop.com and you can find Matt on all the usual social channels. He's at culturepop on Instagram and at culturepopup on Twitter. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.